We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been going through Ecclesiastes this semester. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, uh, it's after the Psalms. The Psalms are sort of in the middle of the Bible, then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes. It's in your handout as well, and there's some Bibles on the back table if you want to grab one for free. And uh, in case you haven't been with us this semester, uh, Ecclesiastes is really the story. Make sure this thing's going here, because God forbid someone on the internet did not hear this. Um, Ecclesiastes is the quest of this guy, his name is the preacher, and he is looking throughout the world where he says under the sun and sort of the world and trying to find something that's going to satisfy his soul, something that's going to give him the good life. So he looks in pleasure and fame and uh, money and wisdom and all these different places and says, if I have this, will it make my life what I want to be? Will I be a satisfied whole person? And the interesting thing about Ecclesiastes, if you read it, it can be confusing because it barely ever mentions God. Because what he's doing is he's looking just in the world as it is. He's not looking for spiritual fulfillment or anything like that. Uh, He's looking at the world sort of without God. But tonight in our passage, he actually turns and looks at religion and says, can being, basically, can being a good religious person satisfy me and bring satisfaction to my soul? So uh, let's dive in. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Read the first seven verses. I just realized that my daughter's glow bracelet is still on, so that's bonus. Okay. Let's read here Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7. Listen, this is the word of the living God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much, uh, with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. <clears throat> it's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. It's God's word, so let's ask his blessing. Father, we're grateful for your word. Um, We're we're grateful for your love to us, Uh, Lord, indeed, that never fails and never gives up and never runs out. On us And Lord, because you love your people and you love your word, would you be with us now as we consider your word together? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, do you guys know who, well, first off, does anybody have like a Nalgene of water? I just drank this whole thing of tea. Thanks, Bailey. You're a real good man because I'm about to drink this water after you have three small children. I just drank a Chick-fil-A sweet tea and have sweaters all over my mouth. Um... Do you, guys, do you guys know who Anne Rice is? Sorry, what? Sweaters. I had fuzz in my mouth. You know, okay. Um, good, all right. You guys taking, hope you're taking notes. All right, all right. So, do you guys know who uh, Anne Rice is? She's an author. Uh, it's not Ray Rice's sister, no. Um, although it would be awesome because Anne Rice writes books about vampires. And can you imagine Ray Rice's sister writing books about vampires? Uh, no, Anne Rice was a... Uh, you ever heard of like the movie Interview with the Vampire? 
Okay? It's like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, and they're like most androgynous roles. Uh, they wear a lot of makeup and everything. Anyway, uh, Anne Rice wrote these books, these vampire books, Interview with the Vampire, Queen of the Damned, and she was really popular in the 90s. And uh, in 2000, I think it was, Anne Rice became a Christian. Like, she kind of came out and said, I'm a Christian. And it was sort of surprising. I don't think anyone saw that coming. But in 2010, she put on her Facebook that she was quitting being a Christian. Okay? And uh, this is what she said. She said, today I quit being a Christian. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. Obviously, she writes words for a living. Uh, For ten years, I've tried and I've failed, but following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might become. And if you've spent time in church, okay, particularly if you grew up in the sort of religious Christian South, you probably are feeling sympathetic to that position, right? Because the church and religious people in general can be some of the most harmful and hurtful people. And it can be a really hard place to be. Some of you guys have been hurt by the church. And what the preacher is doing, the great thing about Ecclesiastes is it's really honest about how life really is. And what he's doing tonight is he's showing us sort of what religion looks like under the sun. Um, that there, even within the same church can be two religions happening together. And if you see on your handout, there's a really easy outline. But what he's contrasting is religion under the sun, which is like a fool's religion, and then true religion. So let's look at those two things together. Um, if you look at the beginning of, of chapter 5 there, he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What he's doing is he's contrasting two people worshiping, right? So this is in the Old Testament. So if you were a religious, religious person and you believed in the God of the Bible in the Old Testament and you want to worship God, there was literally a house where God lived in the house, okay? Uh, his spirit dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. So if you were going to go to church and you had to travel to Jerusalem, and people would travel there several times per year and they would pray and they would offer sacrifices, Right? You guys following this, right? They would take animals and kill them and offer them as worship to God. And what uh, the preacher, who's probably Solomon, what he's saying is there are people that go to the temple and they do very outwardly religious things. They're actually very committed religious people, but somehow they are totally missing the point. Um, And you guys might know this, sometimes the most outwardly religious people that you know can be some of the hardest people to deal with, some of the most unloving people. Zach Eswine wrote a book about Ecclesiastes, and he talks about these people. He says, they take part in religious ceremony and observances and look to that participation in order to justify themselves as being close to God and among good people. What he's saying is, these people, they do outwardly religious things. They go to church, they do sacrifices, they follow the law, and they look to that obedience and performance as the thing that makes God like them. Okay? It's like if you went to church every week and you said, God likes me because I do these things. Um, Religious fools, that's what I'm calling them, that's what uh, Solomon calls them, he calls them fools. They think that because of what they do, God accepts them. 
And uh, really what they're thinking is, if I do these things that God has set in place, if I do sacrifices, if I go to the temple, then God will look favorably on me and give me the life that I want. He'll give me the good life, the things that I want. And there's a few things that religious uh, fools do. They focus on externals. They focus on performance. Um, They focus on doing all the right things. Uh, Religious fools are fools because they think that God shares their agenda. Uh, Have you guys ever been to a church or to like a Christian gathering of any kind and you felt like, man, I'm very pretty sure what the overriding political view is in the church. Okay? Like, if I, went, if I went here and I shared it at a different political view, I would feel uncomfortable. Uh, Scott Sauls, he's a pastor in my denomination. By the way, my denomination that I'm a minister in is called the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, and we are a historically southern, white, and conservative denomination. That's just where we come from, where we, who we've been, and we're growing and diversifying. But anyway... But Scott is the pastor of a big church in Nashville, and he tells this really um, funny story about he was at a Bible study, and the lady from this Bible study was like going on, and she was really excited because on Sunday she had seen a car in the parking lot that had a Democrat sticker on it, and she was really excited about that. And he was like, "Oh, what's so exciting?" She was like, "It's great because that means like the unbelievers were coming to church um, on Sunday." Um, Religious fools, and you know, we all are foolish, but religious fools think God shares their agenda, their opinions on politics or on culture or on the world, shares their favorite sport team. You know, like the team that I pull for, that's God's team as well. And the, uh, the preacher says here, it's clearly not apt, um, uh, in recent years at least, um, he says here that the thing about fools is that they talk a lot, okay? They use a lot of words. It gets them into trouble because you got to think, if you think that God shares your opinions and that what your opinion is, that's God sort of stamps that with his approval. Of course, you talk all the time. You're very haughty and arrogant because you think that God agrees with you. For religious fools, they focus on their performance and they think God shares their agenda. And really for a religious fool, their religion is all about them, right? It's centered around themselves. And if there's one person that really understood sort of the cultural Christian religious fool, it was Flannery O'Connor, who I quote a lot when I talk. Um, she was from Georgia, so that's how you knew she was good. And, um, and she was a Catholic writer, but she would write these characters, and they would be like good Southern Christian people, you know? And she was amazing at sort of exposing their hearts, and so her, probably her best character, in my opinion, is a woman named Ruby Turpin. If you ever have to like, read a short story for class and you get to pick, choose Revelation by Flannery O'Connor. It's a great story. Anyway, so Ruby Turpin, uh, in this story, she's, a, she's a sort of a middle-aged woman, and the story mostly takes place in a doctor's office waiting room. And she's sitting there, and she's sort of quietly in her heart and mind judging the people in the room and sort of sizing them up and trying you know, thinking how much better she is than them. This person's trashy, or this person wipes their nose with the back of their hand, or whatever. And, uh, but listen to what Ruby says about herself, Mrs. Turpin. If it's one thing I am, Mrs. Turpin said with feeling, it's grateful. When I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, 
a little of everything and a good disposition besides. I just feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. It could have been different. For one thing, somebody else could have got Claude, that's her husband. At the thought of this, she was flooded with gratitude and a terrible pang of joy ran through her. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you, thank you that you made me the way I am and things are the way they are. Have you, you guys have, have maybe interacted with this person, right? Has such a high estimation of themselves that they would look around a room of people that are lesser than them and then shout with joy, thank you, Jesus, that you made things the way that they are. Religious fools use religious observance for their own good. So the thing about Ruby, Mrs. Turpin, is that by going to church and being a good Christian woman, she felt better about herself. Okay, In the passage here, if you look in, uh, in verse 4 there, it says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Sounds like Mr. T. Um, <laughs> pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. So let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Basically what he's saying is, don't make a vow to God and then when you don't pay it, say, oh, well, I sort of miscalculated or you heard me wrong. Or, I didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, you guys might know how this is. You know, you're in a moment where everyone's sort of behind you and you get this sort of like really spirit. If you're a spiritual person, this spiritual feeling, I'm going to give this thing. I'm going to do this summer trip. I'm going to help this person. I'm going to give my money. And when everyone's there cheering you on, you feel really good about it. But then like later on, you have to like write the check or fill out the application and no one's really there to sort of bolster you up and your good works then are in private. You're like, eh, not really feeling as much as I was before. Um, a religious fool uses religion to feel good about themselves, to put themselves um, in higher esteem, to make people like them. And uh, being outwardly religious, and I think you guys probably recognize this, can be very advantageous to you. Can you, uh, can you imagine, for example, like someone being elected president that just says, like, I'm an avowed atheist. And I just, I don't buy any of that. Like, it would be very difficult for that person to become elected, right? So every election cycle... People are running and they start throwing, oh, yeah, I taught Sunday school in like 1971 and, you know, first whatever. Um, politicians do lip service to religion because being outwardly religious can help you. And so religious fools, to use a line from a, another friend of mine, re- religious fools use religion to minimize God or to manipulate God. Either make themselves look good and thus minimize God, steal glory from him, or to manipulate him into giving him what they want. And so, if that's the fool's religion, right? And if you guys have spent time around, you probably, some of this sounds familiar. The preacher, he recognizes that in God's house, there's real hypocrisy. And there's real harm that people can do. And like some of like the worst people that you want to, would want to be with, the people that are quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous are there in the church. But what he doesn't say then is, you know what you should do? is You should take Jesus, take your spirituality, and just leave the followers behind and kind of go do your own thing. He doesn't say that at all. He teaches us what true religion actually looks like. And that's our second point, true religion. According to the preacher... The problem with these people is not that, that they do religious things, that they go to church, that they offer sacrifices, that they talk about God a lot. Okay? 
if you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, talking about Jesus and going to church and you know trying to live as becomes the Lord are vital parts of being a Christian. Okay, so please hear me saying that. The problem isn't that they do those things at all. The problem is that they have forgotten who they are before God. If you look in, in verse 2 there, he says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For why? God is in heaven, and you are on earth. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. He is the creator, and you are the creature. If you look on your handout... There's another story there. Um, there's a passage from Luke. And Jesus really illustrates this well. Jesus had this way. <laughs> yeah, I love when I see like figurines of Jesus. And, you know, he's like super nice. He's like, oh, that's like the friendliest guy ever. And uh, then you read, you're like, wow, man, he was like intense. And a lot of times after Jesus would talk, people, they like wouldn't, it would just say they didn't say anything. Because they were like freaked out by what he said. So listen to what he says there in Luke chapter 18. He basically illustrates this passage. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, okay? One's the super religious, really great, good guy. The other one is the one that when everyone heard, they'd been like, boo, he's like the worst, right? Um... So they both go into the, to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, this is going to sound familiar to Ruby Turpin, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be, will be exalted. Wow. Wow. Uh, Jesus is showing us what true worship looks like. And the first thing is that true worshipers recognize their place before God. This guy doesn't even lift his eyes. You know, think like, what do you do when you pray? This guy's in the temple praying to God. He doesn't even look up. Okay? He, sta- you know, he stands off by himself in the back. He sees himself as someone that's unworthy to come before God's presence. And he says, God, be merciful to me, this guy gets it, that God is in heaven, and he is on earth. Um, my wife often likes to remind me that, uh, she'll say, honey, you know, you're not the Holy Spirit. And that's accurate. Um, last I checked. Um, because I'm often so focused on what I'm doing. That I forget, you know, because, like, this is my job, right? Like, my daughter the other day told me, Daddy, I'm proud of you for telling people about God. That was really sweet, because she's four. And uh, so, anyway, that made my day. But um, I'm so focused on what I'm doing that I forget that I'm not the one that can do any of this. Like, I can't make you like Jesus. I can't make you stop sinning. I can't make you become a Christian. I can't do any of those things. 
But often I get so worked up because I think that I am in heaven and God himself is on earth. I think I'm prone to believe that people need me instead of Jesus. And so she reminds me. And so if you see at the end of the passage there in in the Ecclesiastes passage, it says that God is the one that you must fear. I stole this quote from somebody else, but Wynn Butler from the Arcade Fire. Is Arcade Fire still like a thing that people like? Yeah? Okay. Carl likes the Arcade Fire, so. All right. Um, but he, he did this quote and he was talking about, he was talking about fear and he says there's two kinds of fear a fear of people which makes you want to stay the same and then there's another kind of fear that the Bible talks about, the fear of God he says fear in the face of something awesome fear in the face of something awesome and it makes you want to change and all of your, if you're a religiously busy person, okay you're a person that's like trying to do the outward things, okay, like I am, um, is your religious busyness um, worship to God because he's amazing and other and he's the creator and you're sort of awed by that and you recognize I'm dependent on him? Is that why you're doing it or is your religious busyness a way of worshiping God so that he will give you the grade, so that you will feel like the person you want to be. Because like, I recognize that for a lot of you guys, when you think about your ideal life, you know, you're like the job, the spouse, the kids, the car, the church. You know, like that's part of the equation. And I wonder sometimes whether our religious busyness is to sort of make those things happen and fall into place and get the life that we want. And the preacher says that's vanity. Um, so a true worshiper recognizes their place before God, but also a true worshiper listens twice and speaks once. Uh, I was like a, a woodworker for like four months, and um, I was terrible before I got laid off because they couldn't afford to pay me anymore because I was terrible at woodworking. And, um, but, you know, like the one simple rule of being a carpenter is to measure twice and cut once, Okay. Like, and I just really could not like, really grasp that that was a thing. And I was terrible at making furniture. Um, a, the religious fool thinks that God always agrees with him. The true worshiper is ever seeking to agree with God. That requires listening. That requires coming to God with humility and recognizing... Okay, does anyone know what the closest other solar uh, galaxy to ours is? Andromeda, thank you. Every lot of people knew that. You know, if you look at Andromeda, thank you, Cameron. Gold star. Um, if you look at Andromeda through a, through a telescope, you'll see that there's like millions of stars in Andromeda. Okay? And there's likely millions of galaxies in the universe. Okay? God is really, really, really big. And he created all that. And... When we come to God in worship, we come primarily not speaking to him or for him, but listening to him. Because he has something of ultimate and true value to say to us. Because God is awesome. And we take our cues from him. So the worshiper, true worshiper listens twice and speaks once. But, and this is the real point here. The true worshiper pleads for mercy. Remember the guy in the story there? He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
This is what the preacher says when he says, guard your steps when you come in to the house of God. When I was a kid, Miss Perez, did you, did y'all spank? Okay. All right. I, I had a feeling I've known Jonathan. So I had a feeling that maybe the Perez family is one that spanks. Um, so in my house, when I was growing up, it was just me and my mom. And so my mom ran a really tight ship and my mom paddled. Okay. So no one judged my mom. Okay. She's a great lady. Um, but we had this paddle and it hung in the kitchen. Okay. And it had a Ninja Turtle painted on it. And which I thought was some kind of like weird, like mind freak, like torture device. Like, cause I loved Ninja Turtles. That was my thing. And then like the paddle had a Ninja Turtle on it. It was like, I was supposed to have this sort of like positive vibe from, anyway. And, um, but painted on the paddle, it said, <laughs> you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool mama. Okay? That is what the paddle said. I bet, I bet she still has it. You can't fool mama. Um, as reverently as I can say, God is not impressed with our performance. Okay? Remember the one, the Andromeda is the closest galaxy, has millions of stars, probably millions of galaxies. He's not particularly impressed with how many times you read your Bible this month. Okay? Um, you might fool, I might fool some of you with my religiosity, but you don't fool God. He knows parts of your heart that you will never even know about. Okay? And so, when we come to God, we come to Him in a position of asking for His mercy. We don't come expecting to be heard primarily. We come expecting or asking God to give us mercy. Because our performance really messes us up. Can I be, this is a safe place, right? It's confession time. Um, the hardest time of the week for me to pray, the time where I'm the least likely to pray, is when I leave here on a Wednesday night and I feel like I preached a good sermon. That is by far the last time that I want to pray. Because I don't feel particularly like I need God at that moment. I'm well pleased with myself. The time where I am the most likely and desirous of praying is when I yell at my daughter. Or when I preach a terrible sermon. (laughs) Because in that moment I realize I can do nothing without him. And I'm really screwed up. And I need him. And God says when you approach me, you come asking for mercy. If foolish religion minimizes and manipulates God, true religion focuses everything on God and depends on Him. Phil Riken, who's another pastor in our denomination, said, The right way to worship is to be honest with God about our hypocrisy and all our sins and then ask Him to forgive us. Because it is in the nature of our God who sent His Son, Jesus, on our behalf to forgive. He loves to forgive and to show mercy to us. Um, so, if you're here, okay, I had this, this friend and his wife, she was from Florence, South Carolina, she's a really sweet lady, like super sweet. 
and um, the kind that would like never say anything mean. And I remember one time listening to her talk to someone, and the, the person was, she was like, oh, do you go to church? We are like at the store. She's like, oh, do you go to church? And they're like, nah, it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And she was like, you know, that's true. We got room for one more. Um, and that's called a velvet hammer, okay? Like it's soft, but it strikes a serious blow. Um, everyone in this room is a hypocrite, okay? You can't even meet your own standard for yourself. Whether you're a Christian or a religious person or not. Okay? You have standards for yourself that you currently hate yourself because you're not reaching them. Much less your family's uh, expectations for you, your culture's expectations for you, the school's expectations for you, or your boyfriend or girlfriend's expectations for you. You are a hypocrite. Okay? And so my question for you The central tenet of the Christian faith is that God made the world, we screwed it up, and that Jesus has come by his grace to fix that and to show mercy to people that don't deserve it. And so if you don't know Jesus or you're running away from Jesus and you're like, that place is full of hypocrites, whatever it is that you worship, when you fail it, does it show you mercy? If you're worshiping how successful you can be, or how many good grades that you can get, or how beautiful you are to attract the right mate, when you don't measure up, how much mercy does that have for you? Because the scripture says about God that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy for his people. And if you're putting off the church to the periphery, because we're quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous. Um, can I just say, we need you. We need you to help us realize how hostile, disputatious we are. And maybe along the way, you'll find mercy for how you're hostile and hypocritical and disputatious. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Jesus, you humbled yourself for us. Uh, You made yourself nothing and took the form of a servant for us. Lord, because we're a mess. Um, We think we're smarter than you. We think that by stringing together a couple of good acts that you want something to do with us. But Lord, we come with you pleading for your mercy and asking for you to give us what Jesus has. Real righteousness. A real obedient life that you give to us as a gift. Lord, would you show up for us tonight? Help us to put our trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.